You're listening to The Dream Dealer's Daughter, written and read to you by Emily McCumber. This is Chapter 9, The Scalped Mind. Nargis travels to the cliff at the edge of her mind, thinks her way from her structural air to the portion of her mind that's home to her dreams and predictions. The journey is a short one, as few dreams, the sort that emerge when the body go to bed, reside here. But she weaves her way through her aspirations and the creations she has in the works for clients. Soon she hears the crunch of grass beneath the soles of her shoes. This is her, quote, entrance to what she calls the true all-time beside most bodied minds veer far from. Priors, and even those who are minded but uneducated about dreamery, believe the all-time is something to be entered or exited, when really everyone and everything exists within it. Once awareness of it can be quieted, and for the most part, it can remain unexplored when lived in physical bodies and physical times, but never is anyone or anything separate from it. Even Largo's variances of Paris and New York City These are physical possibilities of the all-time, just further from the direct source. She takes in the stretch of unknown that lies beyond her current self. Never has she dared to leap from this cliff without a destination in mind. Sometimes she wonders what wayward dreamer variants she'd find herself in if she did, but that's for another day. She projects from her memory the invitation to Elodie's mind. The all-time takes it, and Elodie's yellow card races far out of sight. When it's no longer in her possession, a force lassos Nargis's focus. She lets time and this card lead her in the right direction. The same orange mailbox floats amidst a now edgeless, endless yellow space. Her footsteps don't press into the perceived ground, nor do they make any sound. Like last time, the mouth of the mailbox expands until it's big enough for her to step through. Nargis walks the metal passage, every now and then glancing over her shoulder. Invitations such as this usually don't change. There shouldn't be variation in the path this card has led her on, and yet there's no house, no grassy fields, and an office doesn't await her. Glinting at the end of the mailbox is a withered orange door barely hanging from its hinges. It's slightly ajar and missing a doorknob. She pushes it the rest of the way open and uncovers the truth she should have seen coming. Elodie's mind has been ransacked, dreams torn apart, defenses dissolved, the once organized paradise of hopes and imaginings now a tattered canvas of pieces and parts. Elodie's request seems so insignificant now. Nargis should have said yes, instead of walking away and making Elodie wait. Elodie had been in such a rush to forget Markwell, making lofty claims that if she didn't forget him right away, she wouldn't become the next version of herself. And Nargis left, brushed her off like nothing. Now she must face the truth. Elodie wasn't lying, and the drift her mind suffers is intolerable. What can Nargis say to Largo, to the Grimes? Her target has already drifted. There is no killing a fading mind, just quickening the process, clearing up the mess. But essentially, cleaning up the mess remaining of Elodie would be no different than her erasing the last memory of Markwell, an act that not so long ago she refused to do. What she must do today still involves the death of something, of a version of someone. And only now she considers that it's almost better to kill a body than a mind. Because likely, when that physical form passes on, the mind lives elsewhere, that mind has a chance. But Elodie and Markwell won't. 
not once Nargis sweeps away their ashes. These thoughts come to a halt when she enters Elodie's once thriving present state of mind, where her structural air should be is nothing but an empty yellow space. There is a spot that exists between nothing and something, so slight it's practically indiscernible. Drift feels like that to Nargis, like grappling for something to clutch onto, and the recognition that this person, this mind, failed to obtain anything or anyone to hold them here in time just a bit longer hits her hard. In this borderless space, she feels too vast, her thoughts are slipping, her emotions impossible to understand, and fading are her senses. No smells, sights, tastes, sounds, or touch. There's just a lack of everything, but the unavoidable silence and the fact that she contributed to Elodie's drift reminds Nargis of who she is, and falling into her guilt and emotions won't do any good. She picks a spot that's straight ahead and walks until the yellow ends and Elodie's midway begins. If she thought it was empty before, its vacancy is now colossal, but the hollow, half-standing archways are the least of her concerns. Nargis isn't alone. Guarding the entrance to one of Elodie's few remaining memories is a scalper, and they've just spotted Nargis. Scalpers are abundant in the city of mines. The minded that prey on the weak, on those close to drifting. It's like they can sense it, the pending death in the airs of those they come across in the all-time. When their target's present state of mind dissipates, they strike, extract knowledge, ideas, and memories that might be worth something, and then sell them on Dream Street or to a private buyer. Largo has many scalpers on his payroll. Nargis stands her ground. When there's one, there's bound to be more. And sure enough, a second scalper emerges. She fights the urge to sigh. Two men, older than her, and apparently they assume they are more skilled because of it. She thinks to them both, you shouldn't be here. I think it's you that ought to leave, finders keepers and all that. She faces the two of them head on, anger filling her at the thought that they have claimed Elodie's mind, as though these memories no longer belong to the mind who experienced them. Simply because they have drifted from individuality, simply because this mind has lost its sense of self, these memories don't belong to you. Strange minds are unsafe places for the youth, for the weak, says the second man. The wrinkles of his face match the age of his heir. He may have lived many lives, but he has no clue what he's involved himself in. She keeps her steps calculated, confident, as she approaches. I was hired to dispose of this mind, and have been told to leave nothing behind. Like a tattoo, Largo's dreamer is bearing identifier in their air. She's tried removing it, covering it, but it always manages to return. They both take a step back, realizing she isn't the innocent, manipulable mind they thought. The second man says, with an appeasing smile on his face, I think we can come to an agreement. Let me guess, you want to pick through the remaining morsels of her memories for anything valuable. Maybe you'll check her dreams while you're at it. I can't go home until every trace of this mind is gone from time, and I can't have you two fucking that up for me, can I? The long-haired man rests his hand on the other's shoulder. Largo's wrath is not worth these memories. We'll leave. Nargis extends her air. I'll need whatever it is you've already taken. You can tell your boss it was too late. This mind was ransacked by other scalpers long before we got here. There's a rumor something valuable hides within. I see no value here. Just waste. Slithering from his air and simultaneously, the other man's, is a string of thought, green in color. She holds out her hand, and the thoughts cling to her grasp, thankful to be back in someone's possession. Thoughts are like viruses, they need a host. Whether that host is a form of nature, a house, or a presence, 
Thoughts don't survive long outside of someone or something to care for and hold them in possession. Once she's alone in Elodie's midway, amid the arches and the memories they once stored, she wonders, the rumor of something valuable being in Elodie's mind, could that be Markwell or something else? She contemplates why the Grimes are so adamant Elodie and her son no longer exist. Whatever Elodie claims Markwell stole, he must have taken from the Grimes. But what could he have stolen that's worthy of complete annihilation? Largo said, I trust you'll do the right thing. She wishes she'd replied, yes, but your idea of right is vastly different than mine. Her lie about killing Letty has been blown out of proportion. She's talked Largo away from the prospect of having her dream more TM before. In the drawing room of the mansion, talking with Largo, she felt how she feels standing on the shore of her midway, irrevocably lost in a sea of unknown, with only the bleariest of ideas where to go and what to do next. Nargis stands in the eeriness of this tattered midway, swamped with the realities and the choices she must make, feeling so ill-equipped to decide correctly. She's been trained in death dreams, but it's been years since she's actively studied the process of dissolving a mind. Sadly, it's not much different than erasing a memory. But when Largo's dreamers kill, they are usually allowed to leave behind a mind's remnants. Today, she doesn't have that liberty. Something tugs at her shirt. Nargus glances down to see a bodiless gold hand hovering before her awareness. It floats backwards, its fingers moving in a come-hither motion. She looks around. Is this a trap, or is this Elodie's last asks? Like paper wills for priors, the minded have their last asks. If dreamt by a strong mind, they will remain long after someone has faded from time. In most cases, family members hold on to them, but for those with little to no family left, these last asks can be found in the form of a dream, hidden somewhere deep in their midway. Nargis takes hold of the gold hand, and upon contact, it melts. She should fear it, question it at the very least. If not Elodie's last asks, this could be a harmful dream that found its way into Elodie before or after she drifted, looking to make wandering minds its victim. Instinct or curiosity has Nargis merely watching, waiting as the gold travels up her arm and down her legs, covering every available surface of her persona. Fear only settles when it continues past her neck, growing heavier with each second until Lilia's residual need for breath triggers suffocation. She knows she doesn't need air, but she claws at her neck, claws at the gold with her nails. As though she has angered it, it only grows thicker, spreads faster. When it reaches her eyes, a scene emerges. The floor, ceiling, and walls all the same metallic hue, and at the center lies an envelope held in the grasp of that bodiless gold hand. Nargis checks her persona. The gold no longer coats her lilia skin. She approaches, careful not to touch the hand as she pulls the envelope free. The letter within unfolds on its own. No words scrawl the page. Instead, a face fills Nargis's vision. There, Elodie stands with her curly blonde hair and fierce features. Elodie's voice joins the scene. If you're here, that means I've drifted. My present existence is no more. Soon, I will be just a memory, and soon, not even that. I must be honest. My true reason for hiring you to remember Markwell was that I feared if it didn't work, if me forgetting him wasn't enough to free me from Annabelle, and I drifted as a result, then at least Markwell would still survive in your care. It must be difficult to understand my obsession with ensuring my son remains a part of time in some capacity. I love him most, more than time itself. I knew when my memories started fading and Elodie's took their place, I had to let Markwell go from me. I was just never prepared to let him go from existence entirely. 
I presume, if you're back here, it's because you've discovered it's the Grimes that wish me and Mark will gone. I have but a few friends in my current variants, who are all priors. I have no one to carry out my last asks. You can say no, of course, but Nargus, you're the only mind I trust to remember him. I've disguised the memory of him in the garden inside the gold hand that brought you here. I ask that you take care of Markwell. He'll be inconspicuous in another dream in your mind. No one will ever know. I also ask that you eliminate what's left of me. Check this letter's envelope again. Inside you'll find a vial. Deliver it to my remaining heir and a mailbox will appear. Put it inside and it will speed up the decaying process. And if you decide not to remember Markwell, place the hand in the mailbox with the letter. Before I go, I feel it's important I pass a bit of knowledge onto you. A body does not in any manner ensure survival. I know that's what you seek, why you dream for your father, hoping every client you take on will bring you closer to wearing a physical form. But look at me. I may not have people to remember me, but I had a body, and I still drifted. Permanence isn't everything. Enjoy the life you have, and those are my last asks. Goodbye, Nargis. Please, take care of my son. Elodie fades, and once more, Nargis is alone in this gold dream with a sculpted hand atop a stone pedestal. There's much to consider and so many requests from every direction. Too many people to please. Elodie, Largo, the Grimes herself, and Isaac. She wants to go to him, talk this through. He'd listen. He'd know what to focus on. The hand glimmers, and the letter, sealed back inside its envelope, demands her attention. She breaks the seal. Elodie was honest. While it feels slim, containing a single piece of paper, inside is a purple vial containing a dream. It darts around the glass, trying to break free. Trust. Why would Elodie trust her? Nargis takes hold of the hand sitting on the pedestal, waits for something to come over her. It doesn't melt, but when she glances up, she's no longer surrounded by the gold room. She stands before the archway in the office where she and Elodie first discussed the terms of their agreement. Markwell is in the garden. She braces for a smile, for the crinkling of his eyes. Take care of my son. She may have sworn to never kill a mind or a body, but the circumstances have changed. Perhaps she's always known she'd kill if it meant permanence, if that permanence was as close as it is now. Just the elimination of Elodie and Markwell standing in her way. Nargis glares at Markwell's wide smile. This mere memory of a thief stands in the way of the body she's been working so hard to obtain. She has taken the necessary steps to make sure her mind and the body Clark found for her are harmonious. But Largo can still take that body away, give it to someone else, harm it, even kill it. He's done it before, he can do it again, and he will if she doesn't do this. Letting go of the hand, she watches it fall to the ground, but it's quick to snatch her ankle. It tugs at her, drags her through the floor of this memory of Markwell, and away from the garden. She tries to fight it, but there's nothing for her to hold on to. She lands in a yellow space with a mailbox at the center. For a moment, she thinks she's arrived back where she started, then she looks left, finds a glimpse of Elodie's arching midway, looks right, the start of Elodie's remaining dreams. The hand has returned her to Elodie's heir. Does she complete Elodie's last asks, or do as her father demands? Elodie has already drifted. If she thinks of this as just getting rid of the evidence, if she convinces herself she's not technically killing Elodie, not when she's already physically dead, everything will be okay. She plays with the vial in her hand. A body isn't, wasn't, everything to Elodie. But for Nargis, it's the only hope she has. Drift is always an instant away, one choice away. A body might not offer complete permanence, but it's better than what she currently has. 
the gold hand still clings to her pant leg, as though Markwell himself is begging her to not destroy him. Without Largo, where will she go? Without the clients he provides to remember her, how long will she last before Drift takes her too? Death pulses within the glass vial. Elodie likely went to Dream Street and had this specially crafted to match her thought structure. But Nargis can't risk trusting Elodie's dream will do the job. As a plan organizes in her air, Nargis pulls from her midway, memories of her lessons on Martium dreams. The best way to kill a mind is not through ruthless attack. It's through mimicking their way of thought to the point where the target confuses the enemy's thoughts as their own. And suggestions of death are slipping into their existence, taking effect long before they realize what's happening. Only, there isn't enough left of Elodie for Nargis to even assimilate Elodie's thought structure. But the memories that remain post-drift, the dreams that have survived, and the few emotions lingering in Elodie's air will crumble if the structure holding them in place is demolished. The glass archways of her midway are already shattered, the once dense networks of doorways and halls that organized her dreams, fading as the people in Elodie's life quickly forget her. Isaac argues it's dangerous to preserve viruses of the mind in her token room. Situations like these prove the risk is worth it. Nargis unleashes viruses upon Elodie Wise, sends thought after thought into her surroundings, some sweeping, some crawling, others darting with intensity to their designated locations, each with a purpose of ripping this mind to shreds. As the walls of this existence crumble, remaining thoughts and aspects of identity race past Nargis before getting annihilated by her viruses. Like the bones of a body, the structure of the mind is the last to decay, and her dreams are burning the bones of this mind to ash. She casts the memory of Markwell, now stored in the gold hand, a long glance. It would be so easy to take it with her, hide him on a shelf in a dream. I have no one to carry out my last asks. Anger at Elodie for forcing this choice on her, disgust at herself for doing this for Largo. But really, if she should be disgusted at anyone, it should be herself. Elodie may have already drifted, and the Grimes may have been the ones to hire out Elodie's murder, but Nargis is the one wielding the weapon. She doesn't want to dream for Largo forever, wants the life she feels is missing beyond the ocean of her midway, and yet she wouldn't even have the life she currently lives if it weren't for Largo. Deep down, she knows she'll forever be indebted to him in some form, and it's time she accepts it. All she has to do is remove the vile stopper. The seemingly small dream will explode, reaching the boundaries of Elodie's existence, until all that remains is the void of the all-time. She likes to believe those who lose their sense of individuality, minds that drift, don't fade into the void that's left in their place. That no one is ever completely gone. It's a sad belief, but in a way, for at least a little while, she'll maintain a record of Elodie and Markwell's existences, even if only in her memory of killing the last of them. And that's the burden she must bear for placing the memory of Markwell in the mailbox with the opened vial. Purple and the crumbling yellow of Elodie's air war, but ultimately, the dream inside the vial wins. Like acid, it evaporates everything in its path. Smoke unfolds from the edges of the mailbox. She needs to leave, but Nargis stays. She forces herself to watch, to at the very least witness the truth of what she has done. She was hired to murder a present mind, yet somehow this feels worse. If she ever drifts and doesn't manage to stop it before it finalizes, eventually her clients, her father, and even the few friends she's made will forget her. Not existing is her worst fear, and she's just committed this fear onto another. The purple of Elodie's death swarms Nargis. As it encircles her air, she sends a single thought, a worthless one, into Elodie. I'm sorry.
You've just listened to The Dream Dealer's Daughter, written and read to you by Emily McCumber. If you listen to podcasts on the regular, you know just how important reviews and ratings are. It would be awesome, fantastic, if you could subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps tell the algorithm, hey, this show is important. Maybe we should push it out to more listeners. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next chapter. The Dream Dealer's Daughter. Copyright 2022. Emily McCumber.